Thank you again for, for joining us uh, this morning. And so if you've got a Bible, I want you to open it to Colossians chapter 1. And we are going to finish out our, our little series uh, in chapter 1, at least, of Colossians, uh, talking about the sufficiency of Christ. And, uh, and we started this a couple of weeks ago, and, and I felt like it was an important uh, portion of Scripture for us to look at, especially in these days and these times where uh, we need sufficiency and we need stability uh, in uncertain days. Uh, Jesus Christ is sufficient, and because He is uh, supreme and sufficient, we can trust in Him, and we can have sufficiency in our life. And so we opened Colossians chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago talking about the fact that Paul penned this epistle to the Colossian believers. Uh, he had not been there in person, and so he longed to get there in the flesh. As a matter of fact, in, in chapter 2 and verse 1, he said he had great conflict for those who he had not seen yet in the flesh. But Paul cared for this church just like he cared for every church, and he desired to get there, but he couldn't. And so what he did was he took advantage of the technology available to him at, at his day, uh, which was a pen and papyrus. And the Holy Spirit of God used him to, to write this epistle and get to the church at Colossae. And uh, in a very real sense, you know, we are experiencing that the last few weeks, uh, not being able to see each other together uh, necessarily, but but thank God that we have technology available, and thank God that we can live stream and uh, and get the message out to the saints of God and to those that may be interested in what God says. And so, uh, Paul pins this epistle through the the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He begins talking about the truth of the gospel in chapter one, verses one to eight. He prays, uh, and he's been praying for these believers at Colossae, whom he had never met, but he knew of their their faithfulness to the Lord. And he prays very specifically that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and that they would walk worthy of the Lord. And I think that's a good prayer that we should pray for each other, that, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and that we would continue to walk worthy of the Lord. And Paul prays that for this church. And then in verses 14 to 20, he begins to just expound on the fact that Jesus Christ is supreme that Christ is God, He is the firstborn of every creature, He is the creator, the maker and sustainer of all things, He's the head of the church, He has preeminence in all things, and ultimately, Christ is the Savior. And so we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, and, and so this morning we're going to wrap up the, the rest of the chapter, and if you will, we'll just kind of read Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29, and we'll begin this morning. The Bible says in verse 24, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me, to you, to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which God hath hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. This morning, we want to talk about, and the message is entitled, Christ in You, the hope of glory. And so I want to pray for us again, and then we'll, we'll begin. Father, thank you again for the time. Thank you for the technology. Thank you for 
to be able to at least virtually uh, connect with our church family. And I pray today as we, as we get into the Word of God that it would change us, that it would, it, that it would absolutely transform our mind and help us to understand what we have in us. We have Christ himself in us through his Spirit. And, and Lord, because of that, there are certain things that are true. And as we study those things that are true because Christ is in us, may it empower us and equip us to do the ministry you've called us to do. We love you. We pray that you be honored and glorified in this time, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so we get to the, kind of the last part of chapter 1, and, and Paul says in verses 24 that, that he is experiencing some, some sufferings, and, and because of his sufferings, he's actually rejoicing. As a matter of fact, verse 24 says, "...who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh." For his body's sake, which is the church. And so in your notes, look, if you're, if you're following notes with us uh, digitally or, or on paper notes, point number one is this, because Christ is in us as believers in Jesus Christ, we will experience sufferings. We will experience sufferings. Paul is relating his present suffering. Remember, Paul is writing this epistle from prison. He's been persecuted. He's experienced affliction. He's experienced uh, 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 beatings, shipwreck. I mean, he's experienced a multitude of different things. And he equates his sufferings with the afflictions of Christ in his flesh. And 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 I think this is a really important principle for us to to understand as New Testament Christians. Uh, Paul even says in this verse, he's saying that, that he is being filled up with that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. In other words, when you read that statement, it almost is like Paul is saying, you know, I've been afflicted, but then I had a season of good, and now I'm actually getting caught up. It's almost like I've been behind in experiencing the afflictions of Christ in my body, and now those afflictions are are actually catching up to me, and he's rejoicing in these sufferings. And and if you go back to Acts chapter 9, we, we learned early on from Acts chapter 9, let me just read it to you in verse 16, uh, when, when Paul was converted on the Damascus road, the Lord Jesus Christ told Ananias, whom, whom, whom Saul was sent to, he says, he says, listen, I, verse 16, Acts chapter 9 and verse 16, I will show him, I will show Paul how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul's ministry was going to be a ministry of suffering. It was going to be a ministry of suffering. It mirrors Christ's sufferings. Listen, Paul is not our Savior. Paul didn't die for our sin. But Paul's life and his ministry was a pattern for us, and it very similarly follows Christ's sufferings. And and we learned a couple of weeks ago that when Christ suffered in his flesh, it brought about reconciliation. In other words, in Colossians 1 and verse 22, the Bible says, in the body of his flesh, talking about Christ, through death, he's able to present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight. Jesus Christ suffered for our sins, and, and his sufferings were able to reconcile us back to a holy God. In a very similar manner, Paul's sufferings didn't reconcile us to God, but Paul's sufferings in his flesh, it had a result. His sufferings brought about rejoicing. As a matter of fact, in verse 24, Paul says, 
who now rejoice, I, Paul, now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And that's crazy. I mean, listen, Paul is rejoicing when he's suffering because because these believers at Colossae are actually benefiting. They're, They're actually becoming closer to God through his ministry, through his epistle, through the things Paul has suffered. Actually, they are becoming stronger Christians, and it caused Paul to rejoice. So I, I just want to establish as we, as we get started this morning, the Christian life many times is a life of suffering. Now listen, we don't suffer like many of our brothers and sisters do across this planet. Listen, there are people in, in foreign countries that are right now meeting uh, in, in the privacy of a, a house or an apartment or a small room, and they don't have technology. They're not live streaming a service. There, there's probably a handful of them gathered together, and they're meeting very quietly uh, in hopes that, that someone doesn't hear what they're actually doing together, praying together, worshiping together, studying the Bible together. And if they were to be caught, well, they would suffer great persecution. The Christian life is a life of suffering, and, and we will soon be facing that in these days in this country. And we need to learn that, that that's just part of the normal Christian life. That's just part of the normal Christian life. As a matter of fact, in First Peter chapter 4, First Peter tells us in verses 12 and 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Isn't it interesting that many times when, when difficulties come into our life as children of God, we think that that's some kind of strange thing. And actually Peter says it's not strange. He says, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And so biblical ministry will always be a ministry, a ministry of suffering and affliction. It, it always will be. And, and Paul over and over recounts this through his epistles. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 4, he, he talks about being a minister of God. And he says, you know, we were approving ourselves as ministers of God in much patience in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses. Can I just tell you that that's really what approves us as ministers of the gospel? When things get hard, will we still do what God's called us to do? Can I just tell you, when they tell us we can't have church and we shouldn't gather together and and the the ministry seems like it's on hold, well, are we still going to do what we're called to do? You know, the Great Commission doesn't, doesn't stop because of COVID-19 or any other pandemic. The, the call to make disciples does not stop. And so w- the way that we are approved as ministers of God is we sometimes endure affliction and persecution and distresses, and we just keep doing what God's called us to do, and we rejoice while we're doing it because other people grow in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 8, he says, when, he, when he's writing to his son in the faith, he says, be not there, thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And again, Paul is just saying, man, there is a connection between the gospel ministry and afflictions. There's a connection between the gospel ministry and sufferings. Again, in Second Peter 3, he talks about all the things that he experienced. And he tells Timothy, look, you've known my doctrine my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. But Timothy, you've also known my persecutions, my afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. 
It goes on in Galatians in, in chapter 6 and verse 17, and Paul says, you know, from henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And, and what's interesting is Paul tells us he is a pattern for us. He's an example for us. He's rejoicing in his sufferings for the Colossian believer's sake. In other words, his rejoicing is that he's willing to suffer for the body of Christ's sake. He's willing to suffer for the others, other, other people in the body of Christ's sake. He's willing to suffer for Jesus' body's sake. How about you? Uh, what are you willing to endure? What are you willing to suffer? What are you willing to experience for the body of Christ's sake? You know, most of us are creatures of, of habit, and we're also creatures of comfort. And we generally don't like anything that, that, that gets us out of a routine, and we certainly don't like anything that, that puts us in a position to suffer or to experience affliction or tribulation or trial. And yet, Paul says, I actually rejoice in that because other people are coming to Christ. Other people are growing in a right relationship. And, and Paul, as you know, was the great persecutor of the church. I mean, before his conversion, he was one of the ones that actually brought persecution against the body of Christ. He, he in Acts chapter 8, was, was consenting unto, unto, uh, unto Stephen's death. <laughs> Mind blank. He was consenting unto Stephen's death. And then there was great persecution against the church was at, at Jerusalem. They were scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And, and Paul was wrecking havoc on the early church. He was, he was the cause of the persecution. And ironically, God has a tremendous sense of humor. <laughs> because after his conversion, Paul is pinning this epistle about suffering and being persecuted for others' sake. He's pinning that from prison. <laughs> he's, he's pinning that from the very place in which he was trying to put Christians before his conversion. And, and God has a, well, God's got a pretty unique sense of humor uh, Paul is now willing to suffer for Christ's body's sake. And it begs the question, what are we willing to suffer for? You know, many times when we experience difficulty, when we experience suffering, especially in the ministry, uh, we tend to disengage from what God's called us to do. We stop discipling people. We stop being a witness for people. But we have to understand and come to the place that we associate our suffering with Christ's sufferings. That, that, that is part of the fellowship of the gospel and the fellowship of sufferings that we identify with Christ with. One, one of my pastor back home in Decatur many, many years ago had a say, statement. I've always kind of clung to this statement. God never wastes a hurt. And when we experience suffering and, and, and affliction in this life, God never wastes a hurt. It's an opportunity for us to grow closer to Christ but it's also an opportunity for us to share Christ even more effectively with other people. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when, when Paul writes this, this uh, epistle to the, the Corinthians, he talks about in chapter 1 that God is the God of all comfort. I love this passage. God used this in my life in a very difficult time many years ago when I was suffering and going through some affliction. And God reminded me that through that suffering, and God taught me that through that suffering, I'm going to learn to know him better, and I'm also going to be able to minister to people better because of what I was going through. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. 
all comfort, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our comfort, excuse me, all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And again, God is just reminding us that when God comforts us in our suffering and in our affliction, it is for us, but it is for others. It is for the body's sake. Verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the suffering which we suffer, or whether we be comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you also be of the consolation. Here's the point. Whatever happens in your life as a child of God, when you experience suffering, it is for you, and it's an, it's a, an identification, it is a fellowship of Christ's sufferings in your own life, but it's not just for you, <laughs> it's actually for the body's sake. It's actually so that other people can grow closer in a relationship with Christ, so that you can take the comfort that God provides to you in your affliction and in your suffering and in your trials and in your tribulation. You take the comfort and the consolation that God gives you and then you give it to other people. You don't know that, the God is, that God is the God of all comfort until you're uncomfortable. You don't know that God is the Father of mercies until you need mercy. And Paul understood this. Paul understood that because Christ was in him, that he had a fellowship with Christ's sufferings that made him a more effective minister. And so the key question in your notes is, what have I, or, or what am I currently suffering through? And how can God use that for His glory's sake? You know, listen, when, when you are, are experiencing difficulty and suffering and affliction, and whether it's the, the minute suffering that we're experiencing right now in this country with, with COVID-19 and, and stay-at-home orders and things like that, or whether it's significant suffering and genuine persecution because of the gospel ministry, Whatever you're going through, well, God's allowed that for your, for your good and for His glory. And, and God's going to teach you some things through that that's going to make you a more effective minister to other people. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, Paul says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man, the spiritual man, is renewed day by day. And then he says in verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And, and again, Paul is just kind of reminding us, the Word of God is reminding us that, that present sufferings are just light affliction. And by the way, they're temporary. They don't last forever. They only last for a moment. You say, Jay, this has been going on for a long time, months, years decades. Okay, we'll, we'll take months, years, and decades and compare that to eternity. Because, because, because even this life is nothing. The book of James says it's but a vapor. It appeareth for a little time, and then it passeth away. And then eternity. And these present sufferings, this light affliction, 
Guys, listen, it only works for a moment. So Paul goes on in verse 18, and he says, We look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so we can learn from the Apostle Paul, number one, that, that in Christ, in Christ in us, we can anticipate some suffering. We can anticipate some affliction. We can certainly anticipate it. The closer we get to the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Listen, listen, the closer we get in these last days, you can, if you're going to walk faithful to the Lord as a minister of the gospel, you're going to experience suffering and persecution. It's coming. And, and so God wants us to put a, traje- a trajectory on our tribulation. He wants us to put a path for our pain. He wants to put us in a ministry because of our misery. God wants to use us to make a difference in the lives of other people as we walk and grow in our relationship with God. Paul did that. He rejoiced in his sufferings, and we should learn to do the same. The second thing that Paul encourages us out of this text is point number two, because Christ is in us, not only are we going to experience suffering, but, but number two, because Christ is in us, we have the hope of glory. We have the hope of glory. And let me just read verse 25 to 27 again. Paul says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Here it is which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Paul, Paul's ministry, part of his ministry was that God gave him knowledge and understanding of mysteries. A mystery in your Bible, according to the Word of God, is something that was previously hidden by God, but now it's been revealed. He even tells you in verse 26 that this mystery has been hid from ages and from generations. And now it's made manifest to the saints of God. You see a very similar passage in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 to 5. It's talking about a different mystery, but it does say in in Ephesians 3, verses 4 to 5, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And so, and so there are mysteries in your Bible. A mystery is something that was, that was hidden in the Old Testament. Old Testament saints, Old Testament prophets, they didn't, they didn't see it, they didn't understand it. It's revealed now in the New Testament, and now we can go back and see types and pictures, or we can see prophetically where it was in the Old Testament. But until it was revealed, nobody knew it was there. So what is this mystery that, that Paul is talking about? Well, the key is this. The mystery that Paul is revealing in Colossians 1 is Christ in you. That's a mystery. It was a mystery, but it's now revealed Christ in you. And, and by the way, just jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, because God's Word tells us that we need to be stewards of these mysteries. God says that we actually need to steward the mysteries of God. We need to be found faithful. What is this Christ in you mystery? What does this really mean? 
Well, Christ is in the New Testament believer. How is, how is Jesus Christ in us? I mean, listen, we're, we're part of his body, but how is he in us? Well, he's in us by his spirit, by the spirit of, of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I want to just run you through some references in the New Testament that, that equate the spirit of God as the spirit of Christ. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 11, it says this, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them, and he's talking about Old Testament saints, by the way, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. God calls the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit, capital S, of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, it says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Spirit of God. Next part of the verse. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of him. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay? And again, God is equating the Spirit of God to the Spirit of Christ. They are one in the same. And so God, uh, God's Word is teaching us the, the fact that Christ is in us is a mystery, but now it's been revealed. In, in Philippians 1 and verse 19, again, the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of Jesus Christ, capital S. And so, you know, we always have this conversation. Well, you know, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came on men and off men, but, but He was never really in men. And the more that we study the Bible, the more we actually see that the, not only was the Spirit on men in the Old Testament, but even First Peter tells us that the Spirit of God was in them, but the Spirit of God didn't seal them. He didn't dwell in the Old Testament believer like he does now. And that was a mystery. I mean, those guys, didn't, they didn't even understand it in the Old Testament. And it's something that didn't apply to them, but it does apply to the church the body of Christ, the fact that Christ is in you, He dwells in you, He seals you with His Spirit. And there's a ton of references we can go to, but for time's sake, uh, we don't have time. Because Christ is in us, and, and, and He's in us through the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, we have the hope of glory. And, and that's something that's very specific in the Bible. The hope of glory always points to the redemption of our body, the rapture of the church, the glorification of our glorified body at the rapture of the church and at the resurrection. When you go back to Luke chapter 9, when, when, when uh, Peter, James, and John were with Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and Jesus was transfigured before them in all of his glory, they saw him differently than they saw him in his earthly ministry. And in Luke 9 and verse 32, it says, when they saw him, they saw his glory. And, and, and a glorified body is what they saw Christ in, in, in all of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. The hope of glory for the Christian is the rapture of the church, where we experience a glorified body. We experience glory for ourselves because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Romans 5 and verses 1 and 2 says this, therefore... Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope of the glory of God, you say, well, I sure hope that happens. Listen, when God uses the word hope in the Bible, it is assurance that it's going to happen. The hope of glory for the child of God is the assurance that because Christ is in us, we're going to get a glorified body. We're going to, we're going to experience a glorified transformation at the rapture of the church. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 says that we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, Paul's ministry was a lot like Christ's ministry. Christ had an earthly ministry. He suffered. He died. And then he was glorified. And, and, and Paul's ministry paralleled that. And, and our ministry will parallel that in the sense that because Christ is in us, well, this earthly ministry that we try to walk with him with and, and do with him, we'll probably suffer persecution and affliction. And, and, and if the rapture doesn't happen, the truth is we'll, we'll die. But then the glory comes. And it's the hope of glory. It's the assurance that we're going to be in a glorified body with our Lord Jesus Christ forever. And so, and so that second point should make us rejoice. The first point should make us rejoice. We suffer and we rejoice in our sufferings because we fellowship with Christ. But number two, we rejoice because we have the hope of glory. Because Christ is in us. By the way, that's also probably a good proof text for eternal security. But we won't get into that this morning. And then point number three, let's, let's, let's wind it down here and land the plane, so to speak. Because Christ is in us, and he's in you, Christian, you have the empowerment for ministry. You have the empowerment for ministry. Look at verse 28. Whom we preach, and the context is Christ, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And, and this is a, a really cool portion of Scripture. The Apostle Paul is identifying with Christ's sufferings. He says, I have the hope of glory in me, just like Colossians. You, you have the hope of glory in you because Christ is in you. And now he says, we have the empowerment to fulfill the ministry that God's called us to fulfill. And the reason that we have the empowerment is because Christ is in us. And so here's what biblical ministry really looks like in these two verses. Number one, biblical ministry is preaching to every man. It's preaching to every man. The gospel and Jesus Christ is to be preached. And I wish I had a room full of people that would say amen, but that's okay. Listen, I'll take silence as consent. Uh, Christ is to be preached Isaiah 61 and verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. And he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. That's a prophecy that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 4 verse 18, Jesus Christ came to preach the gospel. He came to preach deliverance. Listen, biblical ministry, Christ in you, should result in preaching the gospel. 
we were talking last night, we had a, we had a, uh, a small little men's gathering last night, and 10 or less, of course, and, uh, and so we were talking about this thing of the gospel, and we're all going around and just asking each other, how many times since you've been saved has someone actually witnessed to you, preached the gospel to you? I got saved in 1997, uh, which was a minute ago. And I can count on one hand how many times another Christian has actually witnessed to me, has actually preached the gospel to me. And, and, and as, as, as significant of a number of professing believers there are in this city, we ought to be overrunning each other with the gospel because we're all preaching the gospel. But the reality is that we don't understand the empowerment that we have in us. If Christ is in us, We need to be about preaching the gospel. That's what Paul did in Romans chapter 15 and verse 19. Listen, he says, Through many signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, we have to be about preaching the gospel. He says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You say, well, I just don't know what to say. Preach Jesus, (laughs) the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sin. Well, what if they don't listen? Preach Jesus. (laughs) Biblical ministry is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're empowered to do that because Christ is in us. And by the way, we ought to overlap with our brothers and sisters in this city as we all jointly go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, there's a lot of church, there's a lot of religious activity, there's a lot of works that the church does, but biblical ministry is preaching the gospel, and we've gotten away from that. And, and when it gets harder to preach the gospel, well, those that really understand that they've been empowered are going to have to make a decision. It's time to preach the gospel. It's always been time to preach the gospel. Number two, biblical ministry is not only preaching the gospel, biblical ministry is warning every man. Warning every man. You say, man, that sounds kind of mean-spirited. Well, let's just look at what the Bible says. Acts chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, Paul writes, or Paul's recounting his ministry experience to these uh, Ephesian elders. He says, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul's heart for the church and for the the elders at Ephesus was, hey, there's going to be people that come in and try to steal the sheep. There's going to be people that come in and try to destroy the work of Christ in this place. I'm warning you night and day with tears. Biblical ministry is warning every man. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, carnal church, man, listen, I mean, just divided church, spiritually immature church. He writes to them and he says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. Though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. I mean, listen, Paul is like, Paul is just showing his parental heart to the Corinthian believers. 
I love you so much. I've shared the gospel with you. I preached the gospel to you. Now I'm warning you. You don't need 10,000 instructors. You need to follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, listen, if, if you have children, you know what it means to warn your child. You, you warn them not to put their hand on the hot stove. I mean, you warn them to stay away from things that will, will hurt them. And you do it out of love so that they can grow closer to you. They, they can have a right relationship with you. You warn those that you love. Well, biblical ministry is warning every man. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. You know, biblical ministry is always reconciliation. When you preach the gospel, it reconciles the lost to Christ. When you warn every man, it reconciles them closer to Christ. Man, listen, I need men in my life that are willing to warn me. If I'm about to make a dumb decision that's opposed, opposite of the Bible, opposite of the Word of God, I need people in my life that are willing to love me enough to warn me and to say, hey, Jay, I see where you're, you're, you're walking. I see what you're about to do. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to do something really stupid and, and hurt the testimony of Christ, hurt your marriage, hurt your family, hurt you, hurt the church. I'm warning you, man, don't do that. I need people in my life like that, and you do too. Biblical ministry is a warning ministry. Number three, biblical ministry is a teaching ministry. Biblical ministry is teaching every man. So we preach the gospel. Man, listen, we warn others about their, 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 their walk with the Lord. We want to see them reconciled to Christ fully. And then we teach them. We disciple them. Matthew 28, verse 20, that's the third part of the Great Commission teaching them to observe all, all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. 2 Timothy 2, 2. I mean, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's called discipleship. And listen, a preaching ministry without discipleship is not a fulfillment of the Great Commission. You have to have both. You have to be able to teach every man. And, and disciple every man when it says every man, all of mankind, all creatures. Listen, it, it's, the point is that we preach and teach to all people. We want to see them grow to maturity. Because lastly, we're going we're gonna to present every man before the Lord. And so the last point is this. Biblical ministry is preparing every man to be presented perfect before the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we have, we have young ministers in our church. We have people that have gone through our discipleship process and, and ministry tools and training, and they're getting equipped to do the ministry. Well, this is it. I mean, these, these two verses show us what the ministry is, that ultimately everything that we do is to prepare men to be presented before the Lord. And God says that we do that so that every man can be presented perfect. And the word perfect in this King James Bible doesn't mean sinless, but it does mean mature and complete. And, and we as ministers of Jesus Christ, because Christ is in us and he wants to use us, listen, we need to understand that every person that we minister to is going to stand and give an account to Jesus Christ. God help us to prepare every man to stand perfect, mature, complete in Jesus Christ. 
2 Timothy 3, many of you know this passage, verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So, so biblical ministry, because Christ is in us, He has empowered us to preach the gospel. Because Christ is in us, He has empowered us to warn every man. Because Christ is in us, He has empowered us to teach every man. And because Christ is in us, He has empowered us to prepare to present every man before the Lord. And so Paul winds that passage down. If you just look up at verse 29 real quick in your Bible. So Paul writes and he says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, which worketh in me mightily. And that's a really interesting verse to me. So Paul says, okay, I get all these things, so I'm laboring. But he also says that Christ is laboring in me. So who's laboring? Is Paul laboring or is Christ laboring? And the answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. I mean, Paul is working, but as he's working, it's Christ working in him because Christ is in him. And so I just put this in my notes. The power to minister to others doesn't depend on me. If I'm willing to labor in the Lord, he will labor through me. And, and there's, a, there's a powerful passage in Matthew 9. It's not on the screen, but just listen. Matthew 9, verses 37 to 38. When Jesus looked on the multitudes, he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And I'm telling you guys, listen, God has a work for us to do. Christ is in us. Because of that, we will experience sufferings. That's just part of his his sufferings. But we have the hope of glory. We suffer now, we're glorified later. And so because of that, we're empowered to do the ministry today. All God is looking for is somebody willing to labor. And, and if we will show up and get in his field, just like Paul, and if we will just be willing to labor, well, listen, he's the one that works in us mightily. We can never take credit for anything that God does through us. Man, listen, God gets all the glory. We pray that all the time around here. God, you get the glory. If somebody gets saved, God, you get the glory. If, if somebody gets closer to God, if they get discipled, if they become more spiritually mature, if they're encouraged and empowered to walk with you, you get the glory. We just want to be laborers in your harvest. That's all we want to do. That's all we want to do. And, and listen, the Bible says that he works mightily in us. And, and I'm a testimony of that because, man, I can't do what I, what I do. You know, It's only the Lord that allows this to happen. And so in closing, listen, three, three questions for you. Number one, are you suffering? You know, we talked about that early on. Are you suffering? There are people that legitimately do suffer affliction because of their, their walk with the Lord. I want to encourage you today, if you're experiencing suffering, whether it's physical suffering, whether it's persecution because your, your stance on the gospel or, or maybe where you minister, you really do experience persecution. I want to encourage you, you can rejoice like Paul rejoiced. Your suffering is for God's glory, 
And it's probably for somebody else's sake. It's probably so that someone else can be comforted through the comfort that God gives you. And so rejoice in that. Number two, if Christ is in you, and if you're saved, He is in you, then you have the hope of glory. You have the hope of glory. And because the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you know that these present sufferings are temporal. They're they're temporal. They're just temporal. They're not going to last. And in the grand scheme of eternity, this is just light affliction. This is just light affliction according to the Word of God. Let that encourage you and equip you to rejoice. And then thirdly, listen, because Christ and the Spirit of Christ is in us, we have everything we need to do the ministry. We've got the Word of God. We've got the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. So the question is, are you engaged in the ministry? You say, I live stream. Well, I'm glad you live streamed the service. Okay. The question is, are you engaged in the ministry? Are you actively preaching the gospel? Do you seek out people that do not know God and seek to have conversation to bring them to Christ? Who's the last person you witness to? You say, well, I've never witnessed to somebody. Okay, well, listen, Christ is in you and he's empowered you to do the ministry. Preach the gospel. Don't be a butthole about it. Don't be a jerk about it. But find someone that doesn't know Christ and preach the gospel. Find somebody, anybody, and preach the gospel, and maybe they're saved. And you've just encouraged them to now go and preach the gospel because you witnessed to them. Are you warning other people? Do you love people enough to actually warn them to not walk in sin? I'm not asking you to be the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is not telling us to be the Holy Spirit. But, but if we see our brothers and sisters walking unruly, Guys, we have a biblical obligation to warn them. If you love them and you love the Lord, you'll have a loving conversation to to say, man, are you sure everything's okay between you and the Lord? Are you sure everything is right where it needs to be between you and the Lord? I love you. I want to make sure things are right. That's an appropriate conversation. Number three, who are you discipling? Who are you teaching? And and maybe you're not ready to to, to, to teach someone because you actually need to be discipled. Listen, it's time more, more than ever. It's time now to commit to be discipled. And it's time now more than ever to take what you've learned and teach someone else. To, to, to reproduce the life of Christ in you and another faithful, faithful believer. Because ultimately, guys, listen, we're going to present every man before the Lord. And the, the goal is that we present them perfect. Guys, I love you very much, church. I I really do miss you, and I pray this is an encouragement to you. Rejoice in the fact that Christ is in you. Rejoice in the fact that Christ is in you, and you have everything that you need to do what God's called you to do. And I'm thankful for that, all right? As we close, I'm going to pray, and the very last slide will pop up as a uh, QR code. And uh, if you've got a prayer request, and maybe you haven't downloaded those digital notes, but you're watching this uh, on a streaming device or, or maybe on a television you can scan that QR code and submit a prayer request. If you've got our digital notes, uh, there's a link right at the beginning. And submit a prayer request. We'd love to connect with you and pray for you. And uh, we appreciate that opportunity. So let me pray, and then we'll throw that code up, and then we'll dismiss. Father, again, thank you so much for the morning. Lord, help us to walk in the power of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that, that, that this mystery has been revealed to us, that Christ is in us. He seals us. He dwells in us. God, we partake of his suffering many times in this life. 
when we do the ministry that you've called us to do. And that's just the fellowship, like Paul said in Philippians, it's the fellowship that we have with Christ and his sufferings. And ultimately, God, you empower us through Jesus Christ in us. Thank you for the ministry. God, thank you for those that, 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 that we can look to as an example in our own personal lives of people living this out by faith. Help us to be that type of people. Help us to, to take the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and preach it to our city, our community, for your glory's sake. We love you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.